We so appreciate the Savannah Church of Christ. It's, uh, I've known of the Savannah Church for a long time. I was really good friends with Chuck Morris. He and I went to school together, and, and Barry Binion and I also met at Freed Hardeman. So I uh, think a lot of the Savannah Church with your name and the brotherhood and all that you've done with Evangelism University and things like that. So we're very appreciative of this good church. Uh, let me tell you this story. Uh, it's one of my favorite stories. This really happened in Oakland, California. There was a small church out in Oakland, California that was so small, the building didn't even have a foyer. When you walked into the building, you were right there in the church. No foyer at all. So at this particular congregation, there was a deacon who was in charge of the door. I guess you could call him the deacon of the door. And so he was the deacon of the door, and it was a hot summer night, and the church was getting ready to have an evening worship service, and the building was air-conditioned, and there was this little dog outside. And it was just panting, just dying to get inside that air-conditioned building, could not wait. And so he wanted to be in there where it was cool, and the deacon of the door had the simple task of letting the people come in and keeping the little dog out. And so the evening service started at 6 p.m. And at about 6.20 p.m., the door opens. And this couple had walked up the stairs trying to come into the building. And as they do, the little dog tries to race into the building. And so what happens? The deacon of the door, he tries to take his boot and kick the dog out. But he misses the dog and he kicks the woman in the shin. He kicks her in the shin bone, and so she bends over in pain, and she, and before the deacon can even apologize, the woman says, I'm sorry, we're late, but we're from out of town. <clears throat> well, that's a true story. And you know, you think about that illustration, you think about that true story, and here's what you think about. The problem, usually in most churches, is not getting people into the building. It's getting people into the body. The problem in most churches is not getting people into the building. It's getting people into the body. And I want you to understand what I mean by that as we go ahead in your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to spend a lot of time in Ephesians chapter 4. But we will also, if you want to bookmark, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be looking at... Ephesians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And so I want us to understand about the body language that we see, the body language that we see in Scripture. And so when we think about body language in Scripture, it's the idea of not only growing ourselves individually, but it's also growing ourselves collectively as the body of Christ. And so we see this kind of language in Ephesians 4. And what I want you to do, What I want you to do for the rest of your life is to be a bodybuilder. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about this either. I'm talking about something that's much better. I'm talking about something that is much more needed. I'm talking about spiritual bodybuilding. When we look at Ephesians chapter 4, when we look at 1 Corinthians 12, we see Paul using this kind of language, building the body of Christ up. He's talking about spiritual 
bodybuilding. Now one of the first things that we notice in Scripture that talks about something like that is 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise not only for this present life, but for the life to come. And that was again Paul. So what Paul said there in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 8 is we need to train spiritually. Our world, we know this more than anything right now in our culture, our world needs strong bodies of Christ. Our world needs strong churches. And that's going to take time. That's going to take time and it's going to require working with people in the body of Christ that we don't always see eye to eye with. We have different personalities and we are a part of different generations. We're not always going to see eye to eye, but we find common ground in the Bible. We find common ground in the wisdom of Scripture. Now, talking about spiritual bodybuilding... We look at Ephesians. And when we look at Ephesians, the book of Ephesians has more talk about bodybuilding language, probably more than any other book in the Bible. If, we look, if I'm looking at this correctly, if you notice in your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, it is an unusually long sentence. It's an unusually long sentence. And it's like Paul, it's like he gets on a roll in Ephesians chapter 1. And this might be irritating to any of you who might be English teachers because this is a a really long run-on sentence. And it's really over 200 words. I think I know why he does it in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. It's because Paul is so excited about what we have in Christ. He's so excited about what we have in the body of Christ. And you see, Paul, he could not quit talking about what God had given him and what God gives all of us as Christians, the gifts that God has given us. We're so blessed. He does the same thing in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, he talks about how grateful he is for grace. But also, in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 through 8, Paul says this, I became a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Although I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. And in those verses, in a sense, Paul was saying, I'm God's gift to the world. And he's also saying to the church, you, you are God's gift to the world. Paul said, I've been graced by God to share the gospel, and so have you, the church. And he's talking about everybody. Everybody. And so God wants us to lead us to the place where Paul was. And what leads us there? It's the realization of grace, of how blessed we are. Grace must lead us to the place that it does in Ephesians, and grace should lead us to gratitude. Being so grateful for what God has done for us that we not only speak grace, but we live grace. The result of what God has done, you see, we are God's workmanship. God has placed a great deal of thought into the gifts 
that He has given us. And you see, God's grace, what we find out is it engages us. God's grace calls us through the Scriptures. God's grace pushes us. God's grace strengthens us. And can it strengthen us not only individually, but also collectively. God has different roles for different people. And so grace calls all of us, according to Scripture, through the Scripture. And especially does that through the Ephesian letter. And it seems we may think of our ministry as our gift to God. But if you read through the letters that Paul wrote, he thought of his ministry as God's gift to him. And I think that is amazing when you think about Paul's admirable attitude. Ministry was God's gift to him. And so that means the Bible teaches that every member, every member, Paul says, and we'll see it in many, in many verses, every member is a minister in the servant sense. Every member is a minister in the servant sense. Now God has different roles for different people. And Paul, he really clarifies that in Scripture. Some are qualified to be elders, some are not. Some are qualified to be deacons, some are not. Some will be teachers, some will be missionaries, some will be encouragers. Some servants will be really in front of the scenes, very visible, and some workers and servants will be very behind the scenes, and that's the way that they like it. Because some people just aren't as extroverted as others. Well, I've read that Paul could just as easily have written this in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7. I believe he could have just as easily written this to each of us a ministry has been given. To each of us a ministry has been given. Then notice Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12. It says this, To prepare God's people for works of service so that the work of the body may be built up. This is the main reason that we have leadership in the church. Leading people to find their gifts. Leading people to find their talents. Because God has given us our various gifts and talents for the building up of the body of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16, the Bible reads, From Him, the whole body... Joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The way we have spiritual bodybuilding, the way the church is built up is when every part does its work. And this is what God says through the inspired apostle Paul. And so God doesn't give us gifts so that we might say, look at me, look at my gifts. I'm so gifted. You know what problem that was? That problem was in the Corinthian church. Look at me, look at my gift. My gift is so much better than your gift. And Paul had to correct them in the, in the book of 1 Corinthians. And what Paul said in 1 Corinthians is, I just wish everybody had the one gift that mattered the most, love. And he spends a lot of time talking about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And so our gifts are not given to us to say, look at me. Our gifts are given to us to say, look at Jesus. Look at us in Him. And so in the process of serving, we find our passion. 
You see, that's the best way to find our gifts and to find our talents is in the process of serving. So many people get this backwards. And they say something like this. They say, let me find my gifts and then I'll serve. That's not what you see in Scripture. You, you go ahead and you start serving. You start walking in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. And you will find what you're passionate about as you serve. Paul was a great teacher. We know Paul was a great teacher because we know he was goal-oriented, he was disciplined, and we see his life to be like that, and he could sniff out something false in a, a few seconds flat. He was very gifted in all that he did, but he knew the truth. And what we find out, according to Scripture, and according to what Paul left us, is there are gifts that are still needed by the body of Christ today. There were gifts that were miraculous in nature, but those gifts were used because at the time, the Bible, the Word of God, was incomplete. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 10 says that when that which is complete comes, that which is incomplete will be done away with. The miraculous gifts were needed because it needed to say, these gifts needed to say this teaching is coming from God. But when we got the revealed, completed Word of God, those miraculous gifts were no longer needed. But just because the miraculous gifts are no longer needed... Gifts of service are definitely needed today in the body of Christ to build up the body of Christ. So the gifts that we have today, something like this, the gifts of service. The gifts of service, this is where someone can meet somebody else's needs. They can make things happen. When, when people serve, when they have this gift of service, they're willing to get their hands dirty. Or somebody who has the gift of teaching. Teachers have, these kinds of teachers, they have the gift of being able to interpret God's Word. Being able to help us clearly see what God's Word means. And also giving us ways to put that Word into practice so that the body can be built up. And then there are people who have the gift of exhortation. Now we don't use that word every day, do we? People who are gifted at exhortation. What does that mean? The gift of exhortation... That is the ability to help other people reach their full potential. The gift of exhortation is the ability to help somebody else reach their full potential. Now who can do that? An older person can help a younger person reach their full potential. A parent, a grandparent can teach a child, a grandchild to reach their full potential. It's the idea of being a mentor. We can all use the gift of exhortation. It's the idea of encouraging. It's the idea of giving constructive words of advice, being an exhorter. It's being motivational to people to lead them to be closer to Christ. And so when we think about that also as well, we think that some people are gifted at giving. Some people have the means and the resources to supply to the church to help ministry get done, to help mission work be done. Others are gifted with the gift of mercy. How often do we hear people talk about the gift of mercy? I wonder. I saw it beautifully acted out for me one night. I saw a woman who had the gift of mercy. When, when my wife Joy and I, when we were fresh out of college at Freed Hardeman University, we, we moved to Huntsville, Alabama. And we worshipped with a church there that was in the inner city. And when we were there, it was one Sunday night, we were having a song service. 
And during that song service, a woman who was not a part of that church, she walked in off the street. This is where a lot of homeless people were. This is where a lot of outcasts were. This woman walked in off the street. And where the back row was in that church building, there was a a wide area that, that there were no pews, and then there was another pew on the very back against the wall. This woman came in off the street during the middle of our singing. She sat down on that very back pew, and she just started sobbing, just very loud, just crying. And everybody, pretty much everyone in that auditorium just kept on singing. But one lady got up from her seat and went to the very back, sat down by that lady, put her arm around her, and just held her and let her cry. That was the best sermon I saw that day. It was somebody who had the gift of mercy. She was not judgmental. She was there to help. And she let that woman get all the troubles off her soul. And she helped somebody else carry that burden. And that is a gift of mercy. That is a gift of helps. The body of Christ needs people like that. We can all do that. We can have the gift of helps. And that means the gift of helps, the gift of mercy is to take instead of. That's what it means, to take instead of. It's lightening somebody else's load when they have a burden that they cannot carry on their own. We can all do this. We are all gifted in that way. And some have the gift of leadership. They are so good at being able to help the the people of God move forward. They're so good at being able to, to plan and to organize and to delegate. And we need gifts like that. We are spiritual bodybuilders when we are as excited as Paul was about using the talents that God has given us, all of us. But that doesn't mean that you try to do everything. There are a lot of people in churches I find sometimes they try to do everything. And we know somebody in the Old Testament who tried to do everything. And his father-in-law came along and said, Moses, you know, wear yourself out, man. Moses, you need to delegate. And that's what he did. Moses tried to take too much on because one person is not supposed to carry the load of the body. We work together. There's participation, Paul says. The Bible teaches it's participation, working together to carry the load and the work of the church. Now, when I was in college at at Freed Hardeman, uh, several of us in uh, Paul Gray dorm, uh, we lifted weights, and there was a weight bench in one of the dorm rooms. And one night, (laughs) one night one of the guys was in the weight room alone. He decided to bench press. And he put on more weight than he could handle. And so he was on his third rep, and he was doing the bench press. He was on his third rep when his strength gave way. was almost back up, and it dropped down to his chest. He lost all of his strength. And when he did this, he realized, I'm the only person in this room. And he looked over at the and he noticed the door was locked. He had nobody to come in there to be able to help him. The door was locked and he was looking at both sides of the bars and he realized there wasn't a collar on either end. He was like, whew, there's no collar on either end. So I know what I'm going to have to do. So what he did is he let the weight slide off one side and then they slid off violent to the other side and it was on the third floor and there was a huge booming noise 
as all the weights came crashing down. And he was so thankful. He was so thankful he was able to get that weight off. But you know what he needed? He needed a spotter. He needed a spotter. You see, in weightlifting, in weightlifting, spotting someone, listen to this definition. In weightlifting, spotting someone is the act of supporting another person during a particular exercise with an emphasis on allowing the participant to lift or push more than he can normally do safely. Encouraging a training partner to push beyond the point of what they're able to do alone. That's what a spotter is able to help somebody do. And it can strengthen them. You see, in the, in the body of Christ, in the church, we need spotters. Plural. In the plural. We need spotters because we all, our goal is to grow individually and collectively. That's what Paul says. So what we need to do if we're going to grow the church individually, if we're going to grow the church collectively, we have to follow through with our assignment. So what is our assignment? What is our assignment? Do the simple things that God wants you to do anyway. If there's ministry in this church that you're not involved in, Get involved. Get in there somewhere in the ministries of the church and serve. Just think of all the varieties of gifts that God has given all of us. And get in there and serve. Recently, a couple at 4th Street, they, they came to church and they, they, they were telling me, they said, Look, Brian, we've been out of church for 50 years. We've been out of church for 50 years. And somewhere along the way, it, it got on my conscience. We were just not putting God first, and we felt like something needed to change. They started coming back to church. They're at every worship, and now everything, everything that I hear from them now is, what can we do? How can we serve? And that's what we need. We need people jumping in. If, if you've made some mistakes, you know, confess it to God. Get it, all, get it out of your system. Give it over to God and let God forgive you. But, but work. Serve. So that the church can grow. You see, there's so many people that we have in our churches that are so needed. And sometimes we don't think about all the different personalities and all the different gifts that different people have. Because there's some people who have a knack at being a good handyman. Or a handy woman. There's some women who are good at that as well. That's not me. I'm more like Tim Taylor from Home Improvement. And so we think about people who are good at cooking and preparing food. I can grill. I can't cook. There's some people who are great at being organizational, at being organized. Some people who are creatives. All of these different personalities, all these gifts are needed in the church. And we just need to ask, where can I serve? You see, in our culture today, this means so much because what we need to do as Christians, we need to be less, church, what can you do for me? And more, church, what can I do for God? Through my gifts, through my talents. Because it's going to grow you spiritually and it's going to grow the body spiritually. And so here, here are three common mistakes that Christians can sometimes make. Being too proud of our abilities, saw that in Corinthians, or thinking we have nothing to offer. You do. God has given you a gift, a talent, or not using what we have 
been given. And so all these different gifts have been given to us by God for the very purpose of collaboration, working together, participation, not competition. Collaboration, not competition. There's this book called What You Do Best in the Body of Christ. It was written by Bruce Bugby. And I just thought it was pretty neat. And it made a really good point. I'm going to share that with you. I'm going to read this to you. It wasn't long after creation that the animals got together to form a school. They wanted the best school possible. One that offered each student a well-rounded curriculum of swimming, running, climbing, and flying. In order to graduate, the animals agreed that they would each have to take all the courses. The duck was excellent at swimming. In fact, he was better than his instructor, but he was only making passing grades at climbing. He was getting poor poor grades in running. The duck was so slow in running that he had to stay after school every day to practice. Even with that, there was very little improvement. His webbed feet got badly worn from running, and so much so that the worn feet, he wouldn't be able he would only be able to get half of his grade in swimming. Now, average was quite acceptable as a grade to everybody else, so no one worried about it too much except the duck. Now, the rabbit, the rabbit was at the top of her class in running, but after a while, she developed a twitch in her leg from all the time spent in the water trying to improve her swimming. Now, the squirrel was a peak performer in climbing, was constantly frustrated in flying class, though. And the squirrel's body became so bruised from all the hard landings that he didn't do too well in climbing and ended up being pretty poor in running. I like this. The eagle? The eagle was a problem student. She was severely disciplined for being nonconformist. For example, in climbing class, the eagle would always beat everybody else to the top of the tree, but she insisted on using her way to get there. Each of the animals had a particular area of expertise. When they did what they were designed to do, they excelled. When they tried to operate outside the area of their expertise, they were not nearly as effective. And then he went on to ask this question, can ducks run? He said, of course they can. Is that what they do best? Definitely not. You see, just as every animal has been gifted for survival, every person in the body of Christ has been gifted for the growth and the ministry of the body, we have been gifted differently. No part of the body of Christ can look at any other part and say, I don't need you. We can't do that. Especially spiritually. Remember when I had shoulder surgery in 2014. I'm right-handed. I do everything right-handed. And my doctor told me, he said, you're going to have to keep your arm like this for three months. And I just really started to realize how much this part of my body, how much I needed it for riding, for reaching, for grabbing, all these things I couldn't use it for. When there's one part of the body that's not working, the rest of the body notices it. And it's that way in the spiritual body. It's that way in the church. When some body parts aren't working, the rest of the body notices it, and the rest of the body can get just as tired as as the physical body if we don't all work together. See, no part of the body can ever say, I don't need you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 teaches us this. 
that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. In other words, 1 plus 1 equals greater than 2, or 1 plus 1 sometimes they say equals 3. And that's the idea. You see, the, the, the church needs you. Every one of us. But you see, you need the church too. That's what we also learn as well when we study what Paul has to say. But Scripture is meant to change us, to help us, to grow us. And we do that through community, through participation. Bill Heibel said this, Community is knowing and being known, loving and being loved, serving and being served, and celebrating and being celebrated. Love God first. Love others. Never make anyone feel unwanted. And help make the church be a safe place for everyone. Because what we really need to do when we help each other is sometimes our words, they really need to be more a pat on the back than a punch in the gut. We really need to have more encouraging environments. And that's something that God wants us to have. And we do that when we build up the body of Christ. We try to cultivate dependence on one another. And so it makes me think of, this is one of my favorite illustrations. I don't remember where I first came across this, but it was a truth about sequoias. And these are sequoias. Sequoias can grow nearly 300 feet tall. Some of you may have seen sequoias live and up close. They can grow nearly 300 feet tall, 26 feet in diameter. The oldest known sequoia is estimated to be around 3,500 years old. Because the sequoia is so tall, we just think, well, it has to have strong, a strong foundation. For them to be that tall, they have to have a strong foundation to keep them upright. But 95%... 95% of the sequoia's roots are within three feet of the surface. So how do they stand so strong? The roots of the trees intertwine with the roots of the other trees around it. And they create one large root system underground. You see, above ground, we see these huge trees standing alone. But underneath, these trees have their roots intertwined because they're supporting one another. And that's the community that you find in sequoias. And that's the community that we need to have in the church, in the Lord's church, in the body. We have one foundation. We have that commonality. We have that common ground. And so we need to absorb God's Word. We need to live it. We need to serve. And we can build up the body of Christ. And how blessed we will be individually when we work for all of us collectively. Well, in 1885, let me share with you one last illustration. I don't know if you can see that picture at the top. In 1885, there was a World Series of Mule Team competition. I didn't know about this until recently. There was a World Series of Mule Team competition, and it was held in Chicago, Illinois. And the winning team of mules was able to pull 9,000 pounds. The second place team pulled slightly less. And somebody came up with the idea of hitching both the first and the second teams to a load to see how much they could pull together. 
And it was assumed that the teams could pull a little more than the total combined weight. However, instead of pulling only a little more than 18,000 pounds together, they pulled 30,000 pounds. A young foreman by the name of Ed Stiles, he was working the borax deposits in Death Valley, California. And he took that concept of having multiple teams of mules and he applied it to trying to haul loads of borax out of that harsh environment in Death Valley. And he noticed that a team of 12 mules was hauling loads twice the size of what an 8-mule team could do. And it got him to thinking, got him to experimenting. And so the maximum benefit he noticed seemed to be a 20-mule team which ended up pulling 10 tons, about half the capacity of a modern railroad freight car. That picture, if you go through a grocery store and they have a great variety of things, you'll notice that picture on a borax box, I think in the detergent section. And that comes from a true story. What those mules were able to do was come up with the idea of synergy. Synergy is the cooperative working together of two or more people or organizations when their combined effect is greater than the sum of their individual efforts. That is synergy. When we work together, when we participate together, and you know what the Bible often calls that? Love. The Bible calls that love. So how are we showing love? How are we, by extension, practicing love? How are we practicing synergy? We can do more together with God and each other than we can on our own. And God lets us know that through Scripture. And we need to apply that. We need to live it. And one last verse, and the lesson's yours. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. Maybe, there you go. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows... And builds itself up in love, what? As each part does its work. So I would encourage all of us to be spiritual bodybuilders in the Lord's church. And I'm so thankful for all the gifts and the talents represented in this church. May we use them all to God's glory. Thank you.